Just before I start, I want to remind you that you may want to check out the body of this episode on YouTube. I'm going to put that up um, on YouTube so that uh, you can see what we're uh, talking about with the footwear. So uh, go over to my YouTube channel, Aaron Saft, and check out this episode so you can watch and see what we're up to and talking about with the footwear in this episode. Hello, this is Coach Aaron Saft in the MR Running Pains podcast, and my guest today is Nathan Lehman. Nathan has been on the podcast before. Um, he's got a wealth of experiences with uh, running in general, but he also owns the Ultra Running Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, a running retail store in which I had the pleasure of visiting uh, just this past weekend. Um, Nathan and I are going to talk about footwear, which uh, is ever-evolving and uh, exciting at this time because of everything that's going into the footwear, thought and innovation. And so we kind of preview a lot of what's out there and talk about benefits, uh, maybe some drawbacks, um, and just function of the footwear uh, and what you can use uh, to make your running maybe perhaps better or uh, more comfortable. So... uh, at the end of the episode, I'm going to catch up with you guys um, with everything that's going on here in uh, the MR Running Pains world. But uh, until then, enjoy my conversation with Nathan Lehman. I am welcoming back Nathan Lehman. Uh, we've been talking a lot before the show started. So, uh, Nathan, why don't you just go ahead and give us your introduction and let us know how you're doing today. Sure thing, Aaron. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. I am the owner of the Ultra Running Company in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm, uh, I guess, a longtime uh trail runner and distance runner and uh and also spend i guess most of my since i'm in charlotte most of my training time on the road so uh i get as many miles in as i can and and as we've seen in the past love to talk about shoes running uh, anything that gets uh, gets us excited absolutely and uh how long have you been in the, the run industry we opened the ultra running company in december of 2013 and so that was my, I had no previous retail experience. Um, I hadn't worked anywhere else. It was kind of a, probably not the smartest thing to do, but, but it was our passion. And I felt like we're talking about shoes, the way that we'll be talking about them today and talking about running the way that you have to talk about it. If you're going to um, try and find the right shoes for folks, I, I felt like there was a gap in the market for that. And uh, so we kind of learned on the run and, and we're still around and having a great time. Awesome. Um, yeah, and we should preface this conversation by saying some of the things that we're going to talk about are our opinions. Some of the things we're going to talk about are factual. Uh, and so if you hear something that you don't agree with, that's fine. You know, like you can, you can let us know. We, we we appreciate any feedback or, or whatever you have to say about footwear, but you know, Nathan and I come to the table, we wear different shoes. We have our own concepts of what we like. Um, but we also have, you know, concepts of, of what's functional and what should be, you know, under somebody's foot for certain things. And that's, you know, either, uh, what we've experienced or, you know, our experience through retail. So, um, so Nathan, why don't you just kind of start us off? Uh, what do you see going on in the, uh, in the footwear industry right now? What's the, the big, you know, uh, you know, last, uh, last time I think we talked, it was, we, we were talking about like some super shoes and the foams and stuff, but what, what are some of the concepts you're seeing right now? For sure. I, those are still a huge part of, of what's going on. I think every once in a while you have these, these paradigm shifts in the market. So for a while it was uh, yeah, minimalism with, with born to run. Uh, when, when that book came out, everyone wanted to go barefoot all the time. And, uh, and 
it's interesting because running stores often act almost like an anchor on some of that because a lot of people that have been in the industry for decades have their own opinions, have their own experiences and have seen things come and go. And so I, I remember when when the minimalist movement came out, you go in a running store and, and they'd kind of laugh at it. They'd be like, yeah, that's great. If you want to go, you know, if you want to see your podiatrist next, then definitely <laughs> run barefoot today. Um, but over time, that kind of started into the market. Kind of juxtaposition against that was then Hoka came out and and all of a sudden Hoka said, yeah, we're going to take some of the aspects of minimal running things like a lower heel to toe offset, a lower drop. Um, and, and we're going to respect that portion of what's going on right now, but we're going to add a lot of cushion under you. And, and we're going to talk about things like rockers, um, you know, and, and we'll talk about all those today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that really led the market. I'd say, honestly, the, the entrance of Hoka 10 years ago or so, um, changed the market fundamentally where everyone was trying to catch up with Hoka. And in a sense, people are still trying to do that. It doesn't mean that every Hoka shoe is the best shoe out there. It just means that they, they've kind of set the standard for how other people are thinking about shoes. And they've gained market share over that, that time period as well. Um, there's other things that have come into the market in the last couple of years, things, these super shoes, these carbon plated shoes, new materials. I think uh, hard to argue that anyone but Nike led that. And, and still, I, I, my belief is that if you're going to, um, you know, the fastest shoes on the market are probably the Nikes right now. Um, everyone else has a super shoe and, and you read studies that say, okay, that this particular one is faster on this particular athlete than this. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I think everyone's now trying to catch up with Nike in that, in that regard. Um, or actually I'll, I'll be more specific when I talk about Nike, because they have so many shoes, they're trying to catch up with specific Nikes. They're, right. they're alpha right. flies, they're, they're percent shoes. Um, and so, so everyone now, the big trend in the market is let's throw a carbon plate in anything we can find. <laughs> um, let's let's make everything a race shoe and and maybe allow that to trickle down to other folks. And mm-hmm. so we've seen a lot of, uh, I think, the carbon fiber plates. They're coming out with even more amazing carbon fiber plates, um, carbon fiber plates that will bend in one direction, but not in the other, where typically carbon fiber was just this this unbendable material. Um, they're using materials like Piba and, and they really bounce a lot. Um, I, I did leave out there that for a while, uh, in that bouncy category, I think the, um, uh, it was Adidas that had, that had the bounciest foam out there at the time. It was also super heavy. And, and so you'd have these shoes that would bounce all over the place. And, and what Nike did with their, with their 4% shoe is they took a material that bounced a lot, but was also super lightweight. And and they took some of the things Coca was doing with their rockers and, and put that in to make these super fast shoes. What's really important to know, though, for, for the average user is that having this super fast race day shoe does not mean that you need to be wearing a super fast race day shoe every day or for some of us any day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been at trail races where people are trying to, where you, people are using four percent shoes. And, and it's just not a good shoe for for an aggressive trail race. It gives you. Four percent more energy, but that doesn't mean a thing on a trail. So it's mm-hmm. you got to be really careful about where you're adding all these really cool technical aspects, and make sure that it's actually appropriate for the shoe that you're using. Um, we'll definitely talk about that a little bit with the trail shoes today, um, because some of this road technology is working its way into trail technology, and and uh, we're having you know fits and starts with that as well. So um, <laughs> I I'd t- I'd definitely say this is the season of like more cushion 
more bouncier cushion. Everybody's shoe, you're, you're seeing shoes bouncing up against like 40 millimeters of cushion in the heel, um, which is just, I, I say things like absurd in a good way uh, sometimes, <laughs> but it's absurd to have 40 millimeters of cushion under your heel. Um, that, that doesn't mean I'm not going to take advantage of it sometimes, <laughs> but it's it's kind of taking things to the extreme. And, and in certain cases, um, you know, you've got Olympic standards and, and uh, I guess, sport legal stuff uh, where they, they are capping that amount. But that doesn't apply to um, to shoes that are just being used for running around town. Right. So you're going to get some shoes that are, might be nice for running around town, but wouldn't be um, allowed in competition and probably shouldn't be used for competition. So sure. yeah, I'd say I'd say right now, especially in the road category, um more cushion and use of of really novel technologies like these carbon fiber plates are are really driving most everything right now. Cool. Um, we should at this point also note that Nathan's going to be showing some shoes on his screen. So I am putting this episode, uh, the video that we are recording on YouTube. So if you want to see what we're talking about, you can go over to the YouTube channel, which is just Aaron Saft and and find this uh, podcast and and see exactly what we're talking about. So that uh, if you're listening, <laughs> you you may lose on some of the things that we're going to touch on. So if you want to go over there and follow along, probably a better place to do it for this episode. Um, but Nathan, you said a million things right there that we should talk about. We should dig into them, right? <laughs> right. So. Um, you know, I, I was in, um, I was in this coaching chat and one of the, uh, one of the questions posed to the group was, um, would you, would you tell your athlete, let's just say they're, they're a marathoner. Okay. If, um, um, uh, if they were to purchase, um, a carbon plated shoe, would that be the end all be all solution for all of your training? So I, I, you know, I had my response <laughs> and why don't you touch base on, you know, how do you feel about, you know, that idea having that, you know, that one shoe fits all solution. <laughs> sure. Well, let's, let's take it back even further because um, there's nothing wrong with any particular direction on a shoe, but, but I really always, if you have the ability, I always like to think of shoes as, as uh, a tool. And, and the best analogy I know is golf clubs. You know, you, you can't go out to a golf course, just take a driver and hope to do well at that sport. If, if I play golf, I can probably get by with three clubs. I mean, I, I can do a putter, some type of wedge and a, and a driver, and, and I'm not going to affect my score that much. And that's how most people probably are. You know, if, if you have one pair of shoes, you can go out and run and be happy and, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you are able to have that stable of shoes, then you start to look at things like stack height of the shoe. How close are you to the ground? So stack height being the amount of material between the ground and your foot. Um, the, the, our general rule is that the less material you have between your, your foot and the ground, the more you're working out the muscles in your feet. The more you're working out the muscles in your feet, the stronger they're going to get, the better off you're going to be in the long term. Obviously, you can overwork muscles and that sort of thing. But as a general rule, the, the closer you are to barefoot, the, the, more, the stronger your feet are going to get when you're, when you're running with obviously with some mileage exceptions in there. Mm -hmm. um, the downside is the less cushion you have, 
the more it hurts, right? <laughs> and so, so then you add a little bit of cushion. It's, it's not uncommon to add 10, 20 millimeters of cushion under your feet and say, oh, this is totally normal, but you're still adding something. But, but within the normal realm of running, that might be totally adequate to add for, for the average runner. So finding something with 20 to 25 millimeters of, of cushion under your forefoot might be, you could probably find one shoe that's perfect in that regard and just go out and run your three to five miles a day, a couple times a week and, and be happy forever. If you start running further or if you start racing or if you start being more specific about how you're running, that's where all these tools come in. And what the market seems to be doing right now is offering a whole bunch of really oversized drivers, going back <laughs> to that golf analogy. Um, and those are amazing if you want to run a long ways, if you want to run really, really fast, if you want to, you know, if, if you're shooting for that, that top percent, but what that cushion does is it takes away that proprioception, which is how your foot feels the ground. And it takes away your muscles abilities to get stronger. So anything you put between your foot and the ground is going to take away that to some degree or another cushion does it. So if you're going to run with some of these maximally cushioned shoes, you're taking away your foot's ability to react to the ground. Same thing if you throw a carbon fiber plate in there, you're really taking away your foot's ability to feel what's going on underneath it. So while a carbon fiber plated shoe may be better for that, um, for a very long run or, or for, a, for a very fast run, you probably want to mix something in to, to get more of that feel of the ground back to activate the muscles. Mm -hmm. and, and so I always like, if you, if you only have one shoe, Go for something right in the middle because it probably won't hurt you and mm -hmm. it'll give you the protection you need. If you can have two, I almost avoid that middle shoe and go for something with almost no cushion or very little cushion and then something with a lot of cushion. So that on for me early in the week, I'll go out and run, run in a more minimal shoe. I'll activate my, the muscles in my feet, my calves, my quads. I'll, I'll, I'll take small steps and really feel the ground underneath mm -hmm. me. By the time I get to Friday, my legs are a little tired or maybe I'm going on a long run on the weekend, then I'm just going to throw cushion at it because it allows me to do, it's a tool that allows me to do something that I wouldn't have been able to do had, had I just been barefoot or minimally shod. Yeah. So, so I, I hope that addresses the carbon fiber one. I, I'd be interested <laughs> to hear your, your response yeah, no, on that uh, as well. Um, I, I, you know, I, I tell my athletes, I said, you have a, a toolbox, right? Like, there's, you're, you're not going to try to fix a pipe with a hammer. You know, you have to have different tools in the toolbox. Right. So, um, I, it's, and that's exactly right. I think the only piece that I would throw into the conversation is maybe a, a, a difference in, in the offset and the ramp of the shoe. Um, you know, when I went, uh, down into my, my collection, <laughs> I was looking through all my shoes and noticed, I didn't have much variation in ramp, you know, like, especially in my road shoes, I was like, wow, I, I don't have many options. And, you know, I have a history of Achilles problems and calf problems and I love zero drop. I love, you know, my zero drop shoes, but at the same time, sometimes I need a little bit of relief. You know, I need to let those tendons and muscles relax a little bit. And it's nice to just go for a run in like a slightly higher ramp shoe. It doesn't have to be anything ridiculous, but you know, like I, I kind of have this range, my body, like, I feel comfortable in probably that five millimeter and under. If I go above that, I don't feel so comfortable. Like, you know, it just doesn't feel good under my foot. Like I, I, I don't, um, I don't like my stance or how I'm running. It just feels off. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of to the, um, to the wearer, 
you know, of, of what, what range works for you, you know, and it's it not zero drops, not for everybody. And 12 millimeters is not for everybody. So, you know, that conversation, I think is the only thing or the only piece that I would throw in there is that if you can vary, you know, your footwear, I think one piece of it to look at is to make sure there is a, a slight difference in the offset, just so you have that variation in what tendons and muscles are being used while you're running. Um, you know, as to the question I posed to you, uh, and just like you were saying, I, I would not say that a super shoe is the end all be all for, you know, every, if we said marathon runner, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, like you said, if you want to choose one shoe, it would probably be that, you know, kind of that, that daily like workhorse, right. You know, uh, that mid range cushioning shoe. Um, and again, depending on who you are, what your history is, and that's, that's a good conversation to kind of have if you have a history like, like I do. Um, but yeah, so uh, no, no, no one shoe for all. Um, I'll throw something else in there, Aaron. Is ahead. it that daily workhorse shoe, that, that kind of middle of the road cushion shoe, um, regardless of drop on it is probably pretty reasonably priced. Yeah. You know, that it, they're not the $250 shoes. They're, they're, you know, they're, they tend to be more in that 120 to $150 range, which seems to be the, the kind of middle, middle ground right now. I know 150 sounds high when, when we opened the store, we had $85 shoes, but, <laughs> right. um, but just over time and not just in the last year, um, but over time, kind of that $85 shoe 10 years ago is now a 110 to $120. Right. And so that, that workhorse shoe tends to fall in that maybe $140, $150, probably $140 category. Um, that, that seems to be a really sweet spot. So you can get a great daily runner that you can take out and race in. If you want to go race that you can run a long way. in. if you want to run a long way that you, you know, you can do pretty much everything at, at a reasonable price. Totally. Um, totally. And you mentioned the, uh, the drop on the shoe. Couldn't agree with you more. I have yet to see a whole bunch of, well, any science that says having a really high drop on a shoe is, is beneficial to folks. Um, you know, I think looking at, at, you look at someone like Saucony who, uh, looked at the science a decade ago and said, Hey, we've got no reason to make a shoe over eight millimeters. And, and so I, at the store here, here at URC, we break down shoes based on, on kind of a natural foot, uh, drop to it, which is for us zero to two millimeter drop. And then we have uh, kind of, a um, a low drop shoe, which is three to five millimeters and then anything above five millimeters, six, seven, eight, nine, ten is going to be a high drop shoe for us. Um, mm -hmm. And and with very few exceptions, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of reason to go above that eight millimeter drop, although people will uh, certainly disagree with me in that area. <laughs> that's, that's just our approach on it. Yeah. No. And, you know, it's. Um, I think I think this this conversation um, of, of, you know, of ramp. Um, was interesting, especially when we talk about the the rocker bottom of you know how Hoka started to produce the the more rocker bottom when they uh, where their meta rocker is. In other words, like at what point in your your gait cycle or your foot cycle does the shoe toe off? Um, it, you know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Pearl Izumi uh, and their history of of what they did. Right, they had the dynamic ramp. Uh, whereas sure. you know he um, the the shoe designer and I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he started shaving the front, you know, until he felt he had that, that right, you know, toe off that toe spring, the, you know, so um, he, it was, you know, that flat, it wasn't, you know, Hoka did it because they had so much cushioning. They had to help the foot <laughs> kind of transition through. Whereas Pearl Izumi wanted to kind of create this, you know, really smooth transition. Um, 
So just, just to use a just to use a prop here. Yeah. What we're talking about is is this when you have a, a really well cushioned shoe, uh, maximally cushioned shoe, um, you're going to have so much cushion that you're you you can't get any power off of your toe when you push off because that cushion would just absorb it all when you try to push off. So you'd waste all kinds of energy. What we've got here is is what we're calling a ramp. Where, where it starts in, in this Hoka Bondi, it starts about here and it rolls forward so that there's less cushion right on the toes. And, and for those of you listening to the podcast, I'm, I'm right at the front of the shoe. Basically, it goes from under your metatarsals, so the, 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 the joint, the ball of your foot, and it, it, it quickly uh, goes to a less cushioned area in front of your toes. And that's that ramp. It's a roll that you're going to feel. And that's that aside from the cushion that's something that hoka really brought to the to the game right but to your point pearl Azumi did a fantastic job of that and other things when they were making shoes yeah um they they would just carve away at it until it was a comfortable right. ride for them and, and they, yeah. they did an exceptional job of it absolutely it's it, you know it, it was kind of you know the one of the first shoes that i saw that like they actually thought out how does this ride feel Right. Like how does right. this, you know, transition, like if you're a heel striker, how does it transition from the heel to the midfoot to the toe off? Right. Or even midfoot to toe off. Like they want that to be the smoothest possible. I'm like, uh, my daughter has one of my old shirts. It says smoothity. That's the, the Pearl Azumi term smoothity. How smooth is it? Uh, it was great. Um, but, you know, transitioning from this point, right. Like we talked about how thick, uh, a hoka can be and you know the the only way that we can make a, a shoe with this much material underfoot move is to create this rocker effect it became the same thing that we talk about with the super shoes but the the component that happened with the shoe super shoes is this new foam needed some kind of of, of rigidity right that some kind of structure so do you want to talk about that, where that brought us yeah absolutely and and that's a perfect way to describe what happened with this foam um there's there is one foam on the market right now, this Piva foam that, that most people are licensing. It's it's like if we were to talk about trail shoes, and we will later talking about the different types of of um, of uh, tread tread uh, rubber, um, and we'll we'll hit on that later with different types of Vibram and and in in house ones. But basically, this Piva is is kind of considered the gold standard right now. It's what Nike put in, and so what what Nike did when they came out with their carbon plated shoe is is they had this piba but it was incredibly unstable because it was so light and it it bounced so much so they inserted this this carbon fiber plate in to give it some structural rigidity the challenge that they had on the first version anyways was that they they then tapered that carbon off in the heel and some of these first super shoes were incredibly unstable in the heel um so folks that that had a a longer stride a stride where their heel landed in front of their center of gravity or where they touched down on their heel before they touched down on their midfooted forefoot um had a very uh I, I my understanding is there there were some injuries directly attributed to that particular thing which is another reason why you don't use a super shoe in daily training um the people that they were testing it on tended to land on their forefoot and didn't need it in the back. So to get weighed out, I would assume um, Nike made it made it um, taper off towards the back. So they weren't getting that that stable landing in the heel of their shoes. Other folks did that as well. We'll talk about that with a Saucony that uh, we've got in a second. But um, but yeah, so the carbon fiber plate creates some of that uh Stability, I guess, that went away when they added all that cushion. So the way you can that I look at that a lot is think about when you were little and you had a pencil with a big eraser on top. 
when you first start erasing with that thing, that eraser is all over the place. It, you know, it's, it's not a square anymore. It rubs off really quickly. That's what happens with a lot of cushion when there's no structural integrity on it. Um, as you get lower, uh, as you erase and erase, if you remember, you know, the last, the last, you know, millimeter of that eraser in grade school would last you months. Uh, whereas the first inch would be gone almost immediately. So um, just think about your heel like that. You want wherever you land in a shoe, you want your feet to be able to figure out what's going on. And, and so that's where these carbon fiber plates come in, add a little bit more consistency. They're generally right in the middle of the mid of the midsole, which is the, what we generally think of as cushion. Um, they're, they're in the middle somewhere providing a, a, a spot that, um, tightens up the shoe a little bit right right yep so um and you know the interesting thing i think about these these carbon plated shoes and this is, is part of the trend that we're seeing today as you were saying is that they're trying to throw this p-backs foam into everything they can um so can you talk about the different levels that they've created like you know saucony has the endorphin line for example um, you know, and, uh, ultra now has, you know, it's carbon versus, sure. you know, lower, I, I don't want to say lower end, yeah. but, you know, uh, so why don't you touch on that? Let's, let's jump into that a little bit with like the, the Saucony line where, sure. where Saucony has got, um, the, uh, this is the, uh, endorphin pro. So basically Saucony has three shoes in their, in their endorphin line. There's an endorphin pro, which is a carbon fiber plated shoe with a ton of cushion. It's designed to be as light as possible. And for those that can see this online, it has a huge ramp on the front. So a lot of cushion in back, huge ramp on the front, and it uses what they call power run PB. Um, I believe when they first pitched this to us, the PB stood for personal best, um, <laughs> pretty confident stands for P-backs, right? P-backs. <laughs> um, so, so they, they have power foam PB, which is that material, which they have licensed, uh, or, or bought from PBA. Same thing. When you go down to the endorphin, uh, speed, they're still using that PBA material, the, the power, uh, power run PB, but they've taken out the carbon fiber plate. They've in the in the speed version, they've inserted um, a TPU plate, a plastic plate in there to give it some more of that rigidity. And the really interesting thing on the endorphin speed is um, this was one of those shoes that on the first go round was actually a, a little bit uh, unstable on the heel. And so if you were a walker wearing this shoe, I, I, I know that seems odd to buy a high performance shoe and walk in it, but it's really comfortable. Um, if you were a walker in it landing with your foot in front of your uh, body, you'd, you'd really kind of just go all over the place on, on that heel. You'd go, go from left to right. So what Saucony did with their third version of the shoe is they've really expanded out the heel to give you a more consistent, stable landing on the speed, in addition to actually bringing up um, on the side of it, the, the carbon fiber plate and the endorphin speed actually comes through and creates some little wings on the side that, that actually give you, a, again, a more stable uh, feeling. So the, the, the third shoe in that lineup called the Saucony uh, Endorphin Shift does not use uh, Power Run PB. It uses Power Run. Um, in this case, that's not, that's not the P-backs that it's, it's, uh, it's basically a line extension and you'll see that a lot in running shoes where they take something that's, that's popular and their highest, uh, highest, uh, performance product and they just step it down. And the way that you step it down, take away price, take away performance is, is to take out some materials. So, um, so in that case, the endorphin shift is a completely different shoe than, uh, than the endorphin speed and the endorphin pro. Uh, and this year, uh, with their upgrades on the Endorphin Pro, they've actually uh, made them all three very differentiated. So 
Um, more than ever in 2013, the Endorphin Pro 3 is an exceptionally white, lightweight, exceptionally um, cushioned uh, shoe with with that carbon fiber plate in it. It's it's a shoe that I would say is only going to be used on race day, or I guess on a day when you're doing just just complete speed workouts. Mm-hmm. You know, doing doing your um, you know quarter mile repeats or hundred yard repeats even. <laughs> and then you want something that you can go out and be comfortable in for the rest of the run when you're doing your, you're doing your, your cool downs and your, your in between kind of, you know, 10 minute miles or whatever your, your in between section and that speed work is, you can certainly wear the pro for that. But, but for me, for our recommendations in the show, we're saying get the pro to go really, really fast and keep it that way. And, and so then on race day, not only are you wearing a shoe that's exceptionally fast, but you're wearing a shoe that you feel faster in because you're not wearing it every single day. Right. Um, if you want a shoe that you can both race in and use as a training shoe, and and you're again, you're going to have one shoe. We we're always going to point people towards that endorphin speed, which is still a very fast, very comfortable, very fun shoe. But it it, it isn't right on the bleeding edge of of speed, and so that's that's kind of the difference, you know, in in Perfect. feel for those two shoes. Yeah. It, can we, um, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I was I was going to say now now when you when you look at that and you go to someone like Ultra, right? Um, That's right. They're going to do <laughs> yeah, they're going to do the same thing um, where they have a shoe now, uh, the Vanish Carbon, which is a carbon plated shoe they um, that they've put in. Now their carbon plate because Ultra is um, still try, has has an approach with a wider toe box, zero drop, and they're trying to maintain a little bit of that natural approach their carbon fiber plate does not go from heel to toe um it's going to go for only a portion of the shoe Mm. so let's say the first half so when you land you're going to uh you're going to on your forefoot you're going to land and pop off of that but if you're landing on your heel you're just going to get cushion on it um which which then begs the question if you're landing on your heel do you need to be paying 225 bucks for for a carbon fiber plated shoe so the the thing with Ultra is that um, it's it's because it's zero drop, it feels fantastically fast when you're running on it. Because one of the things that the drop, that ramp of the shoe does is it, it when you have more heel on a shoe, it actually makes it a little bit harder to come through your gait cycle and land on your forefoot. So you get a, a zero drop shoe that doesn't have a heel on it and has a carbon fiber plate. And there's nothing to get in your way, nothing to get caught. And you always are landing on your forefoot in kind of a sprint manner. So it's, it's one of these shoes that, that lets you have your fastest run and, and lets you do it, um, you know, in an exceptionally, it feels like your turnover is much higher in the, in the ultra than in any other shoe that I've run in. Um, now ultra has not, has not put in the Piba. They're using their own internal rubber on this. It's a very bouncy shoe. Um, Frankly, it, if you were to um, if you were to hold the shoe, it would almost feel it almost it almost looks and feels like like those those packing peanuts that come in your you know when you get a, a, a box with something really fragile in it. It just it, it's almost translucent, and and you can just tell that it's going to bounce back. So it's it's really interesting. Like a, almost like a TPU. Uh, you know. Uh, it is, but but it's it's it doesn't have those beads that you'd expect from sure. the GPU from mm-hmm. from the old Adidas boosts. Right. Um, it's it's a single, at least in appearance wise, it's it's a single one. I haven't cut this shoe open yet, but um, <laughs> we we do that sometimes when it's slow at the store. We'll cut them open. Um, and uh, but but this one appears to be a, a solid a solid foam bottom, not something that's pushed together like those old 
TP, not old TPU ones, but um, they they haven't really said what exactly is their proprietary blend, have they? They haven't. They have a name for it. It's it's Ego Pro. Okay. Um, and they've been using their Ego material in shoes since they introduced it, I believe, on the Escalante. Um, probably three or four years ago, right? And maybe a little longer, but um, but this is their Ego Pro, so it's definitely a one of these next generation materials. It is very light. It does. It has fantastic balance on it, um, but it's uh, it's not the Pua, right on. To the, then, the best of my knowledge, and and then they taper it down. The next version below that would be. So the next version below that is is the uh, is the Vanish Tempo, and it has it has a similar. Um, look and feel to it. It does not have the plate, um, and so it still has that. It still has that Ego Pro foam, okay. um, but it, it doesn't have the plate in it, and so that that takes out. In Ultra's case, uh, something really interesting that I that I missed on that is Ultra uses um, a carbon fiber plate from a company called Carbotex. And the reason I, I point out the actual brand name on this, which I always try not to do, <laughs> um, just like I always try not to call something Ego Plus <laughs> or Ego Pro. <laughs> Um, Carbotex is, is a carbon fiber plate that, that they've, they, they make to bend in one direction. Mm. And so, so when you land in the ultra, it actually does flex when you land and then pops back. Whereas a carbon fiber plate is designed to not flex at all. So, so when you get to the, uh, um, when you get to the end of your stride, the, and that, and that, that flex is it's return the energy. It actually goes and, and becomes just kind of a normal shoot which is really interesting. Um, it, they don't have that in the tempo. Um, the, the other two differences though, in, in trying to get some light weight out of the, uh, the vanished carbon, they, they have a very, very thin upper. And, and that's been one of our challenges with, with the, um, with the vanished carbon is it, it, depending on your heel shape, that upper may not fit you as well. It's, um, it, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's a very thin one. And then it has some bolsters inside the heel that, that lock your heel in. Like the but Mont Blanc. Heel, exactly like the Mont Blanc. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that when we get to trail shoes as well. Um, so if, if something like the Mont Blanc holds your foot in, the, the Vanish Carbon will. When you go down to the, the Vanish Tempo, you tend to have a more traditional padded collar, um, the part that goes around your, your ankle. And, um, and it becomes, uh, it really locks you in there as well. So you kind of get the same feel, maybe not that super spring that you'd get out of the vanished carbon and definitely a little more weight with the tempo, yeah. but, um, both are, both are solid shoes. So, uh, cool. so interesting. And, and they both with ultra, you're always going to get that nice foot shaped toe box a little bit less in these two shoes. Um, the, the big difference in ultra over the last couple of years is, is they used to have kind of an athletic, uh, foot-shaped toe box and a um, traditional foot-shaped toe box. Right. And the difference between that was the athletic one had a wide, wider toe box with a narrow heel. And the traditional one had a wider toe box with a wider heel. Um, they've now introduced, uh, introduced kind of a middle one for that. It, it's visually more appealing. I'd say it, it doesn't have that big shoe look that right. ultras have had in the past. But it also, if you do have a wide foot where you might have been able to fit into an ultra in the past, um, just try this these shoes on. They're, they're, they fit a lot like the Ultra Rivera, which which is the first one to use that that kind of middle okay. um, foot shape. Because they they term the uh, the narrowest the slim, right? The slim yeah. fit, and then so that's yeah, that's the athletic one that I talk about. That's the superior that right. um, that that's going to have Mont that Blanc. narrow heel. Yep. Um, even though the Mont Blanc has that you know, that padded heel, like you were talking about in the, yep. in the carbon. 
Um, and then you have the mid, and then the, I think it's standard for their their widest. Is that right? I think they're calling it standard, and that would be like their lone peak. Um, the lone peak Olympus. in the Olympus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, you know, in that same vein, um, have you got to play with the Outroad? I have not played with the Outroad. Um, we we looked at we looked at that um segment, and and we feel we felt like that segment was kind of um met b- between the Timp and and a product from another company topo mm-hmm. called the pursuit okay. um and so in trying not to duplicate one of the one of the things we we try and do here at, at ultra running company is when you walk in you you know that we would run in every shoe there and sure. we always try and find the one that that would be you know kind of our our flagship for that and the the pursuit fit more into a a mixed use type category and and so it not um maybe if you have one shoe in your quiver and you're going to do some road and some trail that pursuit would fit in there but in uh, but that also kind of describes the temp and it kind of describes the pursuit although both of them are a tiny bit more aggressive so we uh we tended to stick with those two shoes and um and go from there the the new temp by the way is is a dramatic difference from temps in the past um both stylistically and and functionally um let me see i got uh, let's see they're all orange. Every shoe is orange. That's the other thing. <laughs> um, yeah, the temp just has, uh, they've added some some drainage ports, drainage. which I, I'm always trying to figure out whether that's helpful or not here in the Southeast. <laughs> um, generally speaking, if water can get out of something, it can get into something. Sure. And so um, so it's uh, it's a nice, uh, there've been a couple shoes over time that, that have had these drainage ports, a lot of time for triathletes on the road. Um, this is the first trail shoe I've seen with that. So basically if your shoe does get wet and you've got a lot of water inside of it, it'll shoot it out the sides and in, in kind of a unique uh, effect there. Cool. Um, but the Timp's always been known for having a very shallow toe box. Yeah. And, and that, that is somewhat solved with, with the most recent, uh, the most recent Timp. So, okay. um, and that's the Timp four. Yeah. The, um, the outroad, um, I've got to, to play with it, um, for uh, quite a few runs now. And, um, you know, I live on a dirt road. Um, and then, you know, I can go run road and then I can hit the forest and run around, but, um, it is on that slim last. So it is kind of on the, the narrower last, um, it, you know, I, it was kind of one of those thoughts like, oh man, this would be probably, you know, something I could look at for like, you know, Western States. Uh, sure. but, um, you know, there's no, no gator attachment, which, you know, I, I love on Altra's shoes is they have that, you know, built-in gator attachment. So, you know, I got to glue something on, um, and uh, it does hold water, um, you know, what you were just talking about with the temp. Uh, when I went through water crossing, which we all know you got to cross the Rocky Chucky in uh, in Western States, um, you know, that if if your foot gets wet, it's going to feel heavy for a bit like it did not. Sure. You know, it didn't release the water very well. So um, but, you know, otherwise running on it feels great, like, you know, road or trail, like it right. feels great. But once it gets wet, it's it's kind of it gets pretty heavy. So. But um, that's just that's my correct. by the way, this is um, this is that Topo Pursuit that I mentioned. And um, this is a new product completely for Topo. Okay. And it, it's a zero drop shoe, um, which to- one of the one of the benefits of Topo is that the 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 designer, the, the guy that started it, Tony Post, tends to design his shoes with specific uses in mind. So mm-hmm. he has shoes with a five millimeter drop. He has shoes with a three millimeter shoes that are zero, depending on what he thinks they're going to be used for. And so, um, so this, this pursuit is, is a nice addition, I think in the zero drop still, you know, uses, yeah. uses a nice Vibram, um, 
uh, outsole and that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, so it just, it's very comparable in my mind, you know, depending on your foot shape and, and your particular feel very comparable to that, that Tim. Fair enough. So, um, we did get off of the, the road there as I was trying to, you know, oh, as yeah. I well, you know, I was kind of sizing there, but, too, but, um, yeah, if, if we were to look, um, you talked a little bit about it when you were holding up the Sauconies. Um, you know, what we notice um, a lot of times often, and uh, you and I saw this, um, you know, when we went and saw the 10-9 by Hoka, uh, was that that heel flare. I mean, you know, that monster heel, if, if folks can remember, you know, I don't have my 10-9 to show it, but it had that monster heel off the back. Yes. Um, and, and they did it with like the, what was the Clifton edge, right? Um, and, yeah. And so little, we still have that bit with the mock. Yeah. And, and we start to see that in some of the new balance shoes now too, with, we are, we're getting, um, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, can we talk about some of the, what are some of the, you know, the, the ideas behind putting, you know, that much heel behind the foot? Sure. Um, so, uh, a lot to this one, um, <laughs> Basically, I had a, had a great conversation with the designers um, from Hoka that, that started Hoka um, this this summer and uh, I guess this fall. And and what they've found, while everyone else is trying to catch up with them and add more and more cushion, they feel like there's some diminishing returns with that. Um, they they feel like you can't get a whole lot more benefit by adding a whole lot more cushion. What they've found is you can get a whole lot more benefit by adding more surface area, and so. So what they're trying to do is extend the surface area of a shoe. And there's only so many places that you can do that. The 10.9 was a really extreme example. If you remember, it actually extended it off of the toe and the heel. Mm-hmm. And, and it went out, I, I mean, aren't you like a size 10, 10 and a half? Yeah, 11, yeah. 11. Yeah. So I'm a 13. And my, <laughs> my 13s, the day we first saw the 10, the 10 nines, my, my size 13 regular shoes were shorter than your 11, 10, 9 shoes. <laughs> and and uh, and that was just them trying to give you more more surface area on the bottom. So they made it wider. They made it longer. Um, Hoka has has specifically kept that not as extreme as a 10 nine. That was that was more of what they called even when they introduced it. They called that kind of a, a real world um, uh, concept car. You know, that they, they, <laughs> yeah. they said we may or may not sell any of these, but this is the direction that we're going. Right. And directionally, they've stuck with that and they've added on these what they call an extended crash pad. So I'm going to be super clear on this. Um, our perspective on that is that it looks really, really fast. Um, it's hard to go from a, a shoe that has that extended crash pad. I know Nike has some. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, I think you just mentioned, does new, did you say New Balance? New Balance, yeah. New yeah, Balance has some. Hoka has them in, in there. I think the Mach 5 is an exceptional shoe. It has a, an extended crash pad. But bottom line, you shouldn't be hitting the ground with your heel there anyway. Um, you know, unless you're really extending going downhill on an, on an exceptionally steep terrain uh, that just makes it impractical, um, and I'm not making a judgment here on whether heel striking is better than midfoot striking is better than forefoot striking, but absolutely you should not be landing so far in front of your body that you need a, a built up crash pad off the back of your foot. <laughs> um, what we find specifically with the Hoka's that, that I've run in where I experienced that, um, these, these extended crash pads on the shoes right now don't get in the way. They don't cause any issues. Um, so if, if you're running efficiently and your and and your your landing under under your center of gravity, um, you're you're, you're not going to be hurt by them. 
And if you are taking too long a stride, there may be some benefit to it. Um, but bottom line, it's really hard when you're running on a daily basis and you put on a pair of these shoes in, the, in a running store in, of, of the Mach 5s or it, really most of the shoes right now that are coming out and they have that extended heel. And then you put on a normal pair of shoes and you just look at them. The extended heel ones just look faster, man. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think there's a downside to it, but I, I am I'm not personally super excited about the benefits of having an additional crash pad coming off the back. Sure, sure. Um, Given it, you're 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 far more into the mechanics than I am, and and well read on that. I don't know if you have an a, opinion uh, in that area, but yeah, I mean, I I I sometimes worry that like depending on the design, it can create more foot slap. So you're going to use a lot more of the shin muscles. So those that are a little bit more prone to having shin splints or problems, you know, in the anterior. I, that's sometimes I worry about, you know, cause it's, if you've got this edge back out here and like you talked about, if you're heel striking, that can cause the foot to kind of either slam faster depending on how it's built. Right. Or it can slow it down. It's just, how did the company do it? Right. How did they bevel that? So that's, that's my only concern is, you know, for certain runners, um, not everybody, you know, not everybody's going to have sure. that problem and it, it's going to work different with other people. And it's unfortunately trial and error, you know, that's, that's, that's the only Thing I, I ever worry about. Right. Um, but yeah, no, looking yeah. at these shoes, they, you know, like the Nikes, they've got that sharp point off the back on their super shoes. And, um, you know, it's, it, it does, it looks fast. <laughs> it looks quick, man. And, and by the way, though, you can take a shoe like that, like this Mach 5 and, and have, have that technology, which again, in, in my opinion, certainly doesn't hurt anything, right? Looks fantastic. And, and there may be a benefit. I'll, I'll trust their designers on the fact that sure. however they went through it, that they had a benefit, but you can also take a shoe like that and look at some of the amazing things they're doing with rubber compounds, even without P backs. Mm -hmm. And, and this Mach five, while it looks exactly like the Mach four, um, it, it has two types of, of rubber on it. The, um, for those of you watching, um, uh, the top layer is very, very soft. So the, the part right underneath your feet is very, very soft and, and almost pillowy, kind of that traditional Hoka feel. And then there's a second part, the part that's between the ground and, and that first level, that's very, very springy. And so you get a shoe that feels like it has more cushion than it has mm. and, and allows you to land regardless, again, regardless of whether you're landing on your heel or your forefoot or somewhere in between, you land, you get a little bit of that sink in, and then you get that pop right back off that makes it very, very versatile. Um, you know, it's a short, fast, short distance shoe. It's also a very comfortable long distance shoe. Mm -hmm. So so there are some really amazing um, technological differences that you can see in a shoe that, that may not be as apparent as the extended heel, but in my opinion, have more of an impact on how people run on a daily basis. Yeah. So on, on this Mach 5, we, we think this is probably the best. This is a current shoe just came out. Um, we think it's the best mock that that's ever been out there. Um, it's very, very comfortable. Hasn't, um, it's not, it's not like an ultra where it has a, a, um, foot shaped toe box, but it certainly has a more accommodating toe box. It mm -hmm. seems to fit, um, folks that perhaps these wouldn't have fit in, in the past. This is that we go back to one of those, you know, what do you do as an everyday shoe? Um, I would say this mock five is, is at the upper end of cushioning on a all around shoe that, that would be a good, a good choice in there. Um, it still has a decent amount of cushion, but it gives you that that little bit of feel for the ground, consistent landing, that sort of thing. So yeah. this is a really interesting one to point out for for this season. That while it looks just like the Mach Four, feels very different if if you're really putting them next to each other. Absolutely. Um, 
we've touched a lot about the foams um, and the carbon plates and, and, you know, and the different materials that they're using to help the underfoot feel. I, I think we'd also be remiss if we didn't talk about the uppers um, because the, the uppers have a lot to do with fit, you know, of the shoe and how they feel on the foot. Um, what are you seeing there? And, and well, I guess, please start by defining, you know, what's the upper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the, um, for folks watching, I'm going to use the uh, endorphin speed here because it's a pretty good example of probably the most popular um, type of material right now. What, what I guess you'd call a, um, a mono mesh, uh, um, a single piece upper, which means very simply that there are no seams in shoes right now in, in your, your better uh, specialty running shoes. You shouldn't have many seams, if any, on the top of that shoe, um, especially in your toe box area. And this is something I think Pearl Zumi was the first one I saw doing this, going back to those those guys, because um, I think Aaron and I are in a similar boat there saying they did a lot of things right before they um, abruptly stopped making shoes. <laughs> right. But um, they uh, um, basically it's one piece. It doesn't have a whole lot of these overlays, which is um, which is that that material that stretches basically from the from the sole or from the uh, midsole of the shoe up to the top to provide support because of what they can do with these meshes now, um, they can put structural differences within the mesh itself. And so what you get is a shoe that kind of um, adapts to your foot. If you, if you pull the laces tighter it, in certain areas, the shoe will get tighter there. It'll hold you in. It's pretty water um, indifferent in that if it gets wet, it's not gonna stretch out. Uh, if, it, if it's dry, it's still gonna feel great. It's not gonna uh, braise you. And that's really what I look for in an upper. Um, for us, the, the one thing you want to look for when you're trying on a shoe is you want it to be very snug around your heel and snug over your instep. Um, beyond that, the, the whole front of the shoe is kind of just to keep dirt out. Um, <laughs> there's, there's not a whole lot of reason. What you don't want is a shoe that's super tight against your toes. This is a general item, and it's why some people wear these rounded rounded shoes. Some people can go with more pointy shoes. Um, but but having that nice snug feel around your around your heel and over your instep, that's where you get control of a shoe. And and the the front just gives you kind of added safety and make sure that you're not stubbing your toes, that you're not getting dirt in there, that sort of thing. So um, so the best shoes right now are using, uh, they kind of go back and forth. Hoke is using something called a, um, a jacquard mesh. Um, <laughs> it, it, I think when you throw in something like jacquard, it um, <laughs> makes it sound more exotic. It just means that it has some more texture to it, as far as I can tell. Right. Um, and, and they'll go back and forth. Now, if you go to these really high-end shoes, and again, I'm going to use the endorphin, but in this case, the pro, um, if you're going for super lightweight, every single thing on this shoe is carved out. You can see through the mesh on the side. So you better wear socks that coordinate with your shoes. Um, <laughs> they've, they've literally carved pieces out of the tongue in order to make that, um, to make that uh, lighter. And, and they do it in such a way that it's not going to abrade your foot. Um, tongues seem to be a very difficult thing for shoe manufacturers to figure out. Um, you, you may have someone go with a very flat tongue on one, one version of a shoe and then move over to a padded tongue on another. That really comes down to personal preference. We will have people complain all day at the store about a flat tongue that, that um, abrases their, uh, their ankle in such a way that it, it cuts into it or something like that. This, the same shoe will be absolutely wildly comfortable on other folks. Um, so, so tongues are one of these personal preferences. There are some that I think are, are better all around than others, but, um, it's just something that you've got to see how it does on your foot in order yeah. to get that tongue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, 
touched on a lot. Uh, is there anything else that we should touch on uh, on the road side of things? Yeah, I, I think on the road side, that pretty much covers it. One other shoe that I'd, I'd point out that's out there, and, and for folks watching, this is probably back to that 10-9 type design. <laughs> um, you've got you've got some use of carbon fiber in shoes that are not meant to go fast. <laughs> mm. um, and you're seeing it more and more to provide stability and consistency. And I just bring this up because you've got something, we talked about line extensions with the, um, with the Saucony Endorphin. Right. Same thing with the uh, with someone like Hoka, who's come out with in the past the Clifton Edge, mm-hmm. which the Clifton is one of their franchise shoes. It does a great job. It's incredibly consistent over time. Um, but they then came out with the Clifton Edge, which honestly was not a Clifton. It was just a shoe that that they use the Clifton name on. Right. Um, <laughs> so what we've got here is uh, Hoka has another franchise, the Bondi which uh, I think everyone that, that knows Hoka knows the Bondi's. It's their maximally cushioned. It's a fantastically consistent shoe. It's kind of the reference point for well-cushioned shoes. Um, they have a new Bondi out, the Bondi 8, but they also have a shoe called the Bondi X, which is even more cushioned and inserts a carbon fiber plate in it. Um, what I always like to point out with this is if you're going for speed, the Bondi X is not the shoe for you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not a lightweight racing shoe. It could be a long distance racing shoe because it has more cushion. And as we talked about before and bringing it back, it has a carbon fiber plate in it that provides the consistency with that huge amount of cushion. So if you were, if you wanted a, a best use case for, for a shoe like the Bondi X, um, in my opinion, something like the Yeti hundred or, or here in North Carolina, the Umstead 100, mm-hmm. basically road courses that have a tiny bit of trail in them, but that are very flat and are very long. Um, that something like this Bond X, that, it, that may be a perfect use case for this shoe for folks that are not, by the way, trying to finish those. I think someone finished the Yeti this year in 13, 14 hours. Um, they're probably not wearing this shoe either. They're, <laughs> they're wearing an exceptionally light shoe. But for the, for the humans out here, for the rest of us, something <laughs> like that takes away some of the discomfort that you feel over 100 miles and, and uses technology in a way that um, is, is useful to the actual Excellent. athlete. Right. So, no, great point. Thank you for bringing that up. Not at all. Um, so if we we transition over to trail, um, I think I think I want to start this this conversation or this portion of the conversation. Um, I, I don't know if you saw Brian Metzler's article at all. Did you see that? I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, if um, to give a synopsis, he he did a great article, and I'll try to put that article in the the show notes because. Um, you know, he brought up the the topic of are carbon plates relevant to the trail market, right? Because we're we're seeing it, and that's that's what we're going to talk about is what we're seeing. But um, he brought up some really good points, and you know, with those in mind, and we can kind of expound on those as this conversation goes through. But um, you know, let let's talk about what's what's on the market, what's coming to market, what are you seeing in in as um, as uh, as, as the fall rolls out here, we're going to see some new shoes coming out, but, um, it, you know, and then as we have this conversation about what's rolling out, we'll talk about, you know, Brian's points and uh, are they relevant to, to what's coming out? For sure. Um, yeah. And, and I want to start first with, with, um, actually going back to a past season shoe and, and the, the first shoe that came out with the carbon fiber plate in it was the North face flight vective. And, and I think at the time it was met with a ton of anticipation. People were really excited about it. A lot of people got that shoe right off the bat 
as well as their der derivative shoes um, down below that, <laughs> the uh, uh, flight, the uh, Vective Infinite and the, and the Vective Endurus. Um, and then over time, I think over the last year or so, I mean, I think it got outside gear of the year and, and people were wildly excited about the shoe. Over the last year, I think it's actually gotten a lot of push back um, because I think a couple of their athletes have been pretty vocal about the fact that that they were using that shoe for the same technical trails that they'd used in the past. And I can't remember if, if Brian mentioned this, um, but a couple of the athletes for North Face are no longer running with North Face and are, are relatively open about the fact that they think that was not the best shoe for their, them physically for the period they were training in. Um, I think Hillary, Hillary Allen, while, while she doesn't say North Face has been really, uh, she's signed with Brooks now, I believe. Correct. And it's been pretty vocal about that extending some of her, her issues. I think both of those are unfair. Um, the, the flight Vective was a fantastic trail running shoe with a carbon fiber plate that tried to bring road technology to the trail and did a nice job for races on appropriate surfaces and and so the surfaces that i think of for that are something like for the californians um looking at the north face 50 or or miwok or something in the in the marine head river yeah i mean this is a shoe that has the traction that you want for for trails that that has the durability that you need for trails yet bring some of that technology in on a relatively flat surface mm -hmm. and so i think if you're looking at, at it as a tool um, you know, not everybody needs a, a, a sand wedge in their, in their, uh, in their golf bag. I personally can't hit out of a sand trap, regardless of what type of, of club <laughs> I have, but for folks doing those speedy trail runs, I think it was a, a pretty good option. So, uh, I think it's always important to, when we talk about these shoes to talk about what you're using them for. And one of the reasons trail is so difficult to, to come up with index shoes, shoes that are just better than anything else. You know, we can do that on the road. We can point out five or six shoes on the road that are just better than other shoes for racing. But but we can't really do that on a trail because the, the surface is so different. And so when we look at the carbon fiber plate there, what I see now is some really exciting ways that that uh, manufacturers are trying to address the shortcomings of the carbon fiber. And the shortcoming of that is that something that allows you to spring forward faster also takes away your foot's ability to feel the nuance of the ground and adjust. And that's one of the most important things you can do in trail running. So the, the best two technologies, and I've got two examples of that. Um, Poke has got a shoe, the Tecton X. And what they have in this is, uh, you can't see it because <laughs> it's inside the shoe, but basically their carbon fiber plate is two plates coming down the side with a little bit of overlap in the middle. I, I believe it, it looks, looks kind of like an H if you were to look at it, but an H that's been not cut in the middle, that's simplistic. But basically what it allows the two pieces to do, and that's why they call it the tecton, move like like tecton plates um, independently. And so, so what they've done is taken something that before would have only shifted from all the way to the left, all the way to the right with that carbon fiber plate. Now it can shift in the middle as well. So it gives you a little bit more control. Um, it, when you uh, when you look at the what I think are the best reviews of this shoe, they say this is a fantastic trail shoe. It's capable. It's got. I told you we'd come back to um, tread rubber. It's got Vibram Mega Grip on the bottom, which I think is the a reference base. rubber. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So light base light base just means that it's a thinner version right. of so Mega Grip. Yep. Um, it's the underneath stuff. Uh, underneath stuff. It's not the actual lugs. Um, but but then that Mega Grip is the actual. Um, compound of rubber it wears well as it gets wet it sticks pretty well and so it's it's a good all-around rubber um so so it has that 
but what this shoe probably isn't good for is your most technical trails. And again, going around the country, maybe not your best shoe for the Pennsylvania Hills, right? <laughs> um, maybe not your best shoe. Um, I actually had an argument, a little bit of an argument about this with, a, with somebody online, which you should never, ever do. Um, maybe not your best shoe for the, for the Alps, right? Mm. Um, maybe not hard rock, something like that, because it's just not, it's just not, um, it doesn't flex enough for yeah. those areas. Yep. And, and this particular shoe only has four millimeter lugs on it. So, so the lugs on the bottom are not the deepest out there. Yeah. Um, so all those things combined. And I think they've done that on purpose. They know that they're not quite where they need to be to have a carbon fiber plate that's ready to take on the toughest, rockiest trails. Nice. So they designed a shoe that had carbon fiber plates that adjusted, but but should be used on on somewhat more buff trails. Um, I think the the other piece of this that um, you know I think we'd be really remiss not to talk about is the you know the foam that goes in it because you know part of what we're paying for in in super shoes is that p-backs right that energy return that's going to give us efficiency where you know this shoe has the carbon plates but if i'm if i'm not mistaken it doesn't have the p-backs is that correct that that's correct uh to date there's no hoka shoe with p-backs in it right so you know like that that begs the question right like what are we paying what's the advantage here right like yeah it has carbon plated is that really going to give us a viable uh benefit you know to running the trails Sure. And, and what it might do is give you a little bit more spring as you go. Um, the, the, the cost, I always struggle with cost on shoes because um, some, some folks that, that I've worked with have claimed that it has to do with the mileage of the shoe. Others have uh, say it has to do with the materials. Um, it probably has more to do with what they can charge for it, Aaron. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it's not necessarily tied to the cost of goods. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't believe that it should be. Um, you're, you're paying for the best shoe you can get across a wide variety of attributes, some of which are technology, some of which are design. And, um, so there, there are other attributes in addition to the carbon fiber plate on something like the, the Tecton. Um, the Tecton also uses that same foam approach that I was talking about with the mock mm -hmm. to make it feel like a more cushioned shoe, although it's closer to the ground than uh, it actually has. And I'm going out on a limb here because I, I, I didn't measure them right before I came in, but it has about the same cushion as the Speed Goat, mm. um, but it feels significantly different than the Speed Goat. And so, so when you compare those two things, the other one is the Mafate, Mafate 4 that they just came out with. Again, pretty close to the same cushion as a speed goat, but it feels very different. So what Hoka is doing is taking all their technologies and maybe they're charging us a few bucks just because they know how to mix those things together um, <laughs> and, and do it in a way that makes the shoe comfortable. But what you're getting, generally speaking, is, is the more expensive shoes are probably worth a little bit more than the less expensive shoes, whether it's the material, the, the technology, the, Design, the way that they right. put them together. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I go so far as to say one of the reasons I'd pay more for something like the Tecton is, is not the, the technology so much as how that technology is put together. And then the, the feel of the shoe yeah. that they put it in. Um, one of the things about the Tecton is it laces almost all the way down to the toe, <laughs> the end yes. of the toes. Right. Some people love that. Some people hate it. For me, it gives me a lot more variable for my toes. I'm, I'm going to run 100 miles in a shoe like this. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, I may want it to be snugger throughout my whole foot. At the end, I may want to loosen it around my ankle, around my toes. And this gives me the ability to do that. Yes. Um, there are other technologies that do that as well. well. We'll definitely hit on that in a second with a mm -hmm. shoe I know you want to talk about. But um, 
but I think that, and then the, the toe box in, in the, um, and the shape of the uh, tecton is very different from any other hoka that I've worn. So it is more accommodating there as well. So um, it, it makes it a very interesting shoe, if not because of the, the peabacks. Now, if you want to talk about peabacks in a, in a trail shoe, I'll bring up a shoe that I think is wildly underreported right now, sure. which is, which is the Saucony Endorphin Edge. Um, this is a lot of shoe. <laughs> um, it, you can tell looking at it if you can see online, but, but this, the, the Endorphin Edge has about as much cushion as any shoe out there and it's P-backs and it has a carbon fiber plate. And, um, and so you put all those things together and what you're, in addition to the fact that it has a very aggressive outsole and, and, um, you're getting a shoe that's really unlike any other trail shoe on the market. Uh, I think it's up to the wearer to decide if being different is better. But what I find in, in a shoe like this, when you take that P-Bax and you take the, you take the carbon fiber plate um, and go run on it on a trail, it feels incredibly fast, incredibly fast. Now, this is a shoe that you would run over things as opposed to a, a pair of zeros where you run with the trail uh, this is a shoe where you run over the trail um, <laughs> and then the challenge is you are up pretty high in a shoe like the endorphin edge and if you're on really technical trails which the tread would have you believe it's capable of if you're on really technical trails you do have to be very conscious of how you're hitting the ground in order to make sure that you're not you know uh, you're not ankle. get yeah turning an ankle getting yourself off balance something along those lines so yeah. Um, one of the nice things about the endorphin edge, and it's only one of only two shoes that I, three shoes that I know of on the market right now that have this is it again, uses the Carbotex plate. It, it's a full text plate that bends in one direction and not the other. So it, it gives it a, a very usable feel. Um, it, you know, Saucony hasn't been known for their super high end trail running shoes. Um, in fact, their endorphin trail was, um, uh, kind of DOA. It, it came out, people wore it a little bit and then they had some quality control issues with it um that doesn't affect the fact that it was a unique shoe this is i think that shoe done well mm. and and so uh it uh when you first put it on the upper feels a little bit sloppy but but uh, much like the kinvara they use some they use uh the lacing system to basically lock in it with a piece that goes all the way down to the midsole and really locks in your midfoot Nice. And so I find in, in this endorphin edge, even though when I first put it on, I think, oh my gosh, this, this is not going to hold my foot on, on technical terrain. Um, it, it does a, re a relatively good job of that. So right. I, I, I don't hear much about that shoe and I want to make sure we brought it up. Yeah, because, no, please. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a quality, I think yeah. a quality entry and, and maybe a shoe of choice for some folks. Sure. And this was kind of, I think one of, uh, we can interject, uh, one of Brian Metzler's points was that as we spoke about earlier that, you know, the plate being in the shoe and, and not being um, a split like the tecton um, having that solid carbon plate is, you know, like you said, you really have to be careful with your foot placement because if the foot goes over, it's going to go over. Like there's no pulling it back because how rigid that, you know, that plate's going to make it be. And that was one of his big things is like, um, you know, do you really want something it, like know your trails? In other words, like, do you want something that's, going to be just for you know doing dirt roads like that's this is probably fine right if you're just going to be out on gravel roads but if you're like you said in something like you know the pennsylvania trails where it's super rocky rudy like is that really the shoe that you're going to want on your foot like is that yeah i mean you may you may want to on those pennsylvania trails uh, you know some of them i've run outside um of uh, uh penn state mm -hmm. and and those that's just straight up and yep. and rocks the whole way 
you may give up on all of the technology just to get a pair of shoes that has enough enough tread and grip to give you the confidence you need to go up there. And that's right. perfectly acceptable, right? That's totally. that yeah. makes total sense to me. Yeah. Um, you'd, no, you'd slide down, you'd slide down most of those trails on your butt with a shoe with only you know two <laughs> millimeters of, of cushion on it, uh, yep. of tread on it. So yeah. Um, a side note on Metzler, I think he's especially. Um, he, he was an early adopter with the Nike 4% shoe. Mm-hmm. He, he wrote the, the, uh, the Kixology. Or, yeah, Kixology. And he writes in that book also about using that shoe. And, and he came out of that really badly because his stride was not super matched up with the 4% shoe um, with some of that uh, stability in the back. So I think he's, he's really um, pays a lot of attention to this. And I think that's a good thing. Yes. Um, yes. And, and across both road and trail. So yep. I don't think that's unique to trail trail just offers some different situations. To, yeah, no. Uh, well, and you know, that. to, to the same thing, like you could be running Tussie up in Pennsylvania and that's a perfectly fine, sh- you know, shoe for, for a race like Tussie. I mean, you could probably even pull off a, a road <laughs> carbon yeah. plated shoe yep. you know, for 50 miles. So uh, it really just depends on you and knowing what your course is and, and where, where you train, what you're, what you're going to use, you know, and that's, part of the conversation I had for Bigfoot, right? Like I was trying to find what was going to be protective enough and comfortable enough for me to go over, you know, the, the stuff that was in and around Mount St. Helens. And, you know, again, it's the same thing at Western States. Like I can't use this. I don't want to use the same shoe that, you know, that I'd use for Bigfoot. So it's, it's finding the right shoe that's going to do the job for you. Uh, you know, and, and the Tecton might be a good option, a viable option for Western States. I have the Tecton and it, it may not be for the whole course, but for a certain portion, right? Yeah. Like, the first 25 miles, you'd be in yeah. good shape with that. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, again, knowing your terrain, knowing, knowing your course, knowing what you're going to train on, because you may be training on stuff that's totally different than what you're going to race on. So you have to think about that as well. Uh, cause you may need one shoe for where you're training and then one shoe that you can, you know, sometimes use, but you're going to use for race day. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, well, there's, there's so much, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting that we're finding this crossover now, um, you know, and, and seeing the, the carbon, um, and the, now the foam, because this is like, I mean, uh, the first shoe, really the edge is the first shoe really that I've seen that's come with the the backs as well. Is, is that yes. correct? Yeah. I, I did. I know of, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and again, just like those road shoes felt totally different and you had to find out where to use them and when to use them. I think, I think you'll find out when to use a shoe like, like the, the endorphin edge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling thinking about races that are coming up and, and trying to decide, you know, when do you wear that? Do you wear that at a, mm-hmm. at a uh, semi-technical race that, that has 15,000 feet of gain? Yeah. Do you, do you, you certainly wouldn't use it as at a flat race that had 8,000 feet of gain. Yeah. So, you know, where, where is, where's that sweet spot for it? Because it, it sure does feel good running in a straight line. <laughs> that's great that's awesome so going going back to bigfoot I, w- I want to talk about one other technology because did you end up using and i apologize it's been a while since i listened to the podcast yeah, no, on it but did you end up using the um olympus or mm-hmm. the or the mont blanc at, i i actually i used um I, I used three i used the olympus uh the uh mountain racer two mm-hmm. and the um the mont blanc Yep. So okay. I, I did, I used all three and for very different purposes. Um, right. So, Tell me what uh, those differences were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the Olympus was my workhorse, you know, that was going to be what was going to be, you know, keeping me right. Uh, it, you know, it had 
good cushion, good protection, um, you know, good traction. So like going over the rocks and the lava fields and stuff like that, I wasn't going to worry about my foot. Right. It had, you know, good protection for me. Um, and then, um, I transitioned mid race because we're now we're going to be more on just powdered trails, right? It's not going to be as, um, I just needed a little bit more traction just in case, you know, it got wet. Um, so I, that's where I transitioned to the mountain racer. Um, and you know, I had more traction underfoot. Um, then, uh, from the mountain racer towards the end, um, we had, um, basically dirt roads and road to the finish. And that's when I switched over to the Mont Blanc. Yep. Okay. Yep. Right on. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to, to create some differentiation for people listening and watching, um, the, the Olympus wildly cushioned, Mm -hmm. um, it, it has, it has fantastic grip on the bottom, primarily due to the fact that it again, uses that Vibra mega grip. Um, and now this, the, the, but here's an important differentiation. This does not use the light base mega grip because while, while they care about weight in the Olympus, that's not the goal of the shoe. This is your, this is your Barca lounger, right? This is your, (laughs) this is your don't do no harm. And, uh, and so it's just made to be durable, bulletproof, um, and, and that sort of thing. So, but great traction, really nice, deep treads on it, the um, mega grip on it, and, and then a solid upper when you go to the and I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the, um, the mountain racer with me because it's, it's been around for a season or so, but that shoe just goes down. It basically takes this model, the, the Olympus model and shrinks it, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. and when you're running on that fine powder that they have out West that not powder, but fine sand, um, it, it, uh, you, it also has the same mega grip, um, traction. It also has the deep five millimeter plus lugs. And it also has a bulletproof upper. It just has less of all of those things. Yep. Yep. And um, and then for your last one, you went with the Mont Blanc, which is kind of Ultra's answer to the Super Shoe. Mm-hmm. And and I can answer your question, by the way, what you should wear at, at Western States. You okay. should be wearing the Ultra Duo, which okay. was their original Super Shoe. They don't make <laughs> it anymore. <laughs> but, of course. <laughs> um, but basically, the, the, the Mont Blanc is, is their Super Shoe and uh for trail and what it is is everything about it is lighter than the olympus mm-hmm. and and so that means that it has the mega grip on the bottom it has a similar tread design to relatively similar tread design to the mont blanc but it uses the light base to get rid of uh some of that extra weight and it has shallower treads on it in fact when this shoe came out i we joked in the store the only place i wouldn't wear this shoe is if i were climbing mont blanc <laughs> right um, you know it's yes it's just yes. not a shoe that i'd want to be in the in the, and those aggressive steep rocky climbs right, right. it's it's going to be great on your on your um semi-aggressive trails it's going to be great on on dirt it's going to do well there um but again what they've done is the upper on this is a very very thin material um it's still durable by the way it doesn't yeah. doesn't break down quickly but it's thinner everywhere and then it has that that heel that mm-hmm. they're just trying to take weight out of it yep. and if there's a so if there's a challenge on these shoes, it's, it's again, where do you want to use it? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like looking at that edge only from a totally different perspective. And I think we're going to see that a lot with these super shoes where people are coming out with these incredible designs that are almost, that are super niche specific. Yep. And, and I think um, Brian meant that was kind of his challenge in that article is, yeah, we're going to have great shoes, but they're going to be great shoes for one day a year <laughs> Yeah, and you're, yeah. you're buying them, you know, you're buying them. And if it's your only shoe, they might give you some compromises elsewhere, yeah. but, but for that one specific use, they might be the absolute perfect solution. So right. um, now we get into the technology part of the Mont Blanc 
and and what they've done is come out with a second version of it yes. called the Montblanc BOA. And I can't say enough about the BOA lacing system. <laughs> um, it it really takes things like you know if you do have some movement in the heel here, if you do have some inability to dial in your your lacing. Um, the the BOA system is is a totally alternative uh, lacing system that involves it. I, I think it started, um, and I'm going out on a limb here. I think it started with ski boots, mm-hmm. and and um, and moved into um, snowboarding, then moved into cycling. And there were some early examples in running. Um, I know when I ran Rocky Raccoon in 2013 or 14. I actually had Boa retrofit a pair of uh, Hoka challengers hmm. and and put the Boa system in because I just I, I feel that strongly that it's an amazing amazing lacing system. Yeah. But what it does is it uses two wheels that basically tighten ropes, <laughs> very thin ropes around different portions of your of your foot. And over the past two years, La Sportiva was the first one to do this with them. Um, they've they've started working really closely with the manufacturers to um, to figure out how to best use this BOA system on the shoes. So don't think of it like shoelaces. Think of it as a part of the shoe. And some of that, I've got to admit, is just marketing for BOA because that's what they'd like me to say. (laughs) But that's how they're thinking about it. It's how the shoe manufacturers are thinking about it. And so when you come out with a shoe like the Mont Blanc and you want a perfect lacing system, I think this BOA system is it. It really locks your foot in. It's incredibly... um, uh, you can, you can fine tune anything on it. Um, you know, when you relace your shoes at maybe, um, 50 miles into a race, you got to relace your shoes because your foot's swollen. You, you can literally do that within millimeters with, with these laces without taking any time at all to do it. So, um, this is one of the things on this, on this podcast that I'm just going to be totally effusive about. Um, there's only a few shoes doing it. Um, I, I think if you take the combination of all these, and I, I'm sorry to admit that because, uh, I, I don't know how to use the internet. Um, I never got my Speedland shipped to me. <laughs> and, and it was late one night. I probably had a glass of wine and I ordered a pair of Speedlands. They're, they're a wildly prohibitive 375 bucks. And, uh, and I ordered them up because I felt like I ought to know what they felt like. But I, I still don't. <laughs> and my apologies to my friends that, that work with Speedland. And, uh, um, but, but what Speedland's done is taken all of what we would consider the best technologies and just stuffed them into a shoe, right? right. Um, they've, they've, got this, they've got this BOA system. They've got a carbon fiber plate in it. They, they've got all kinds of stuff. Um, I can't tell you whether I think it's the best shoe on the market because <laughs> I, there are very few shoes that, that cause me to absolutely cringe um, to pay for. But um, I, I don't think I'm going to be winning uh, you know, one of these epic international races this year. And so I'm going to stay away from paying 375. That's my mark. But um, but I know that they're doing something right as far as the technology goes. So yeah. um, anyways, just a sidebar on that and to include a shoe that we don't sell at the store. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so so I think the, the only downside to the BOA system is it does add some weight, not so much with the BOA system, but with the overlays that it puts on. Yeah. And so you're, again, all, all different trade-offs with these super shoes. Right. But now you have a shoe in the BOA that fits very, very well with the, with the BOA system, but weighs more than the original Mont Blanc. And the Mont Blanc was designed to be the lightest weight shoe that you could have <laughs> on a trail. So, <laughs> so um, you know, you, you've got to pick as, as the wearer, yep. um, as the wearer, how, yep. how you're going to, which one of these you're going to choose. Uh, yeah. So I, I use the original version um, for Bigfoot at the end. 
Um, and I didn't have any problems. It, it was fine. Um, I, I, I will say that I would love for the heel to be a little bit snugger as we kind of talked about earlier. It's just, you know, like it's hard to kind of get the laces right. I actually took, I saw uh, Jeff Browning posted a video on, you know, taking an awe to the, the shoe and creating uh, some extra eyelets and <laughs> which is what you should so, do to a $200 shoe. Right? right. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, well, I'll try it. Cause I had an old pair. I was like, I'll try it. And I did it. And it, it did it lock my foot down better. Um, he has since taken down that video, I believe because ultra was like, ah, we don't think we want you posting about <laughs> having to manipulate our shoes. So, right. Um, I, I can't, we'll both, we'll both get a call later on by the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I, I did it with my old pair and I was like, wow, this actually works. I, you know, I got to try it prior to going to Bigfoot. So I did it with my race pair as well and that did help lock my foot down when i got home my boas were waiting for me uh so i i have the uh the, the mont blanc boa as well mm -hmm. and you know the first time i cranked it down um man it, you know it's just like it just fits like a glove it's it really i mean I, you know, I, I have no affiliation with Altra, but they did a really good job with that BOA system. Well, BOA and Altra, I'll say, did a really good job with with creating, uh, you know, a, a better fit system for the shoe. Um, yeah, you got, what is it, $30 more, 210 Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think 25 bucks, maybe maybe 30 yeah, I, I yeah. check it's, on yeah, that. It's, it's, what I was going to say is, is if go you're ahead. going to choose this shoe, right, it, it's probably worthwhile um choosing the boa version yeah uh, i i think I that's a good a good use of of your funds yep um just to dig a little bit deeper because we do see a lot of people try this on and i do enjoy running in the in the standard mont blanc um my experience has been that it feels like the heel same thing for me the way my heel is shaped it feel uh same thing with the carbon uh vanished carbon it feels like my heel is going to come out, mm. but it doesn't. Right, it, right. I, I don't have an experience of any movement at all when I'm actually running in these shoes. So again, when you're, if, if you, if you decide to try these on in the, in the store and the lightweight is more important to you, yep. make sure you run in them a little bit, take yep. them outside, yep. take them on a treadmill, um, run on them a little bit to see if that that's going to be a game changer for you. Yep. And I went down a half size too. Um, mm -hmm. that actually helped. Uh, yeah, I had, I had, a a half size, yeah, my normal size, which was uh, 11 and a half in that shoe. And then, um, you know, it was like, it was a little bit too roomy. So I went down to 11 and actually the 11 that, you know, it felt great. Right on. Um, it, it did even really, late, even late in a 200 mile race, even late in the 200 mile race. Yeah. The, yeah. I actually felt like the right size. Um, so cool. you know, if, if you put it on and it feels too roomy, try a half size down, you'll, you might be surprised. Um, but, uh, you know, it, like I said, great shoe. Uh, I'm really, really pleased with the way that one came out. Um, but you know, it's, we were, we were talking before we started and you know, we referenced earlier, you know, the toolbox and like the trail, sometimes it's a little easier to have that, you know, one shoe fits all needs. Um, but again, like, you know, when we were talking earlier in my race Sunday, you know, I, I went through my shoes and I was, you know, I was looking at some of the ones and, you know, knew that in a five mile race, I wasn't going to wear my Olympus. <laughs> um, and, you know, I didn't want something with tremendous stack height or too much rigidity because I had just turned my ankle. So I kept going through the line and I was like, well, what am I going to feel most comfortable in? What will my foot feel the most comfortable in? Um, and I landed down on the, um, the zero shoe, uh, the zero Mesa trail, uh, which, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a minimal shoe, right? If there's you know really just tread underfoot is is really what it is. I was is. gonna say you went from one extreme to the other. <laughs> I did, I did, you know. But um, 
when I, when I look at it, right. Um, I think back to my roots, I think back to cross country, what was I wearing in cross country, you know, and I was wearing spikes, right. I like when we lined up for cross country, I was wearing spikes in high school. It was the Nike waffle racer. Right. Yep. So, I mean, uh, then I, you know, I kind of thought about it. I held up the, the, the Mesa trail. I was like, this is the same thing that I used to race in. Cause I mean, in essence, I was racing basically a 10 K right. It's like, I'm, you know, this is the same thing I would have wore back in the day. Now is my body the same as it was back in the day? Absolutely not <laughs> that I have to keep in mind as well. And, you know, yep. I have a, a slight calf tweak to, uh, to prove that my body's not quite what it used to be, but you know, it's, it's, it's really meeting the demand of the situation. Right. And, and knowing you have the right tool for that situation. Um, so, you know, when we talk about it, would that, would that Mesa trail have been appropriate at any point in Bigfoot? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think I would have put that on at any point in Bigfoot. I'll be honest. Right. Um, you know, I wanted something more underfoot, you know, more protective, more cushioning. Uh, I didn't want to feel anything. <laughs> that's, right. that's for sure. So but that's, that's, a, that's such a good point, Aaron, because we, it's, it's really important when I think about shoes to think about the attributes of the shoe. Mm-hmm. And not think about the brand and not think about the marketing on it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm, I'm really terrible. We, we have in the past reviewed shoes very in-depth on YouTube. And uh, if folks want to go check those out, you can see what I'm talking about. But, but you'll very rarely hear me say, you know, this, is, this shoe is the best here. Or, you know, it, what I'll say is this is, where, this is where this aspect of the shoe shines. And so if you are doing this type of run, this may be beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. And, and so to be able to go from something like the Olympus and be comfortable saying, this was a very good shoe choice for me at Bigfoot to going to the Mesa trail, uh, <laughs> which is just shy of being barefoot for a, a 5k that, that if you have the ability to do that and, and the financial wherewithal, that's fantastic. Right. If right. you don't find something in the middle, but, but make sure that it's right for the majority of what you're doing. Um, you know, as we as we kind of transition out of, of new shoes now, um, and there are a couple that I missed just to just to shout out some good new shoes on the market. Um, the Mafate Four is is a fantastic, really aggressive trail shoe from Hoka. The Speed Goat just renewed in the last six to nine months. Mm-hmm. It's as good as the Speed Goat's been, and actually uh, gives a little bit more feel for the ground than it has in the past. Um, the Topo Ultra Ultra Fly um, has has uh, upgraded to a four. It fits differently, but maintains the same shape and and um, and same fantastic upper. And I didn't even get to one of my favorite road shoes of the season, which is the uh, Topo Spectre, um, mm. which which really combines that super shoe with a nice wide toe box um, and and is, is and takes away some of the compromises of using P bucks and and surrounds it with another rubber to give you um, a little more stability there. So um, all of those are worthwhile. We just don't have time to cover everything. <laughs> but but what I'm excited about as we transition out is when I say this has been the year of of let's get bigger, let's get crazy, let's let's you know let's let's go. Um, I see shoes coming out in the next nine months that that temper some of that down a little bit that I'm really excited about. Um, I mean, uh, you you look at Saucony who is kind of expanding their they're doing another one of these brand expansion expansions where they're kind of putting pro behind everything <laughs> um, but there's going to be a Kimbara pro a triumph pro and all of that means that they're adding these materials that they wouldn't have added in the past the Kinvara is just a perennially good training shoe that has changed 
comparatively little over the last decade <laughs> and but uses some of the older technology because they want to keep it in that $120 price point and they want to keep that franchise strong which I really give them credit for the shoe fits great it's, it's just a good shoe mm -hmm. but when they come out with a Kinvara Pro and add some of this P-backs or add you know who knows what else to yeah. it yeah. um and and keep it from being a, a really high high cushion shoe to me, that's really interesting. Topo is coming out with, I know you've run in the um, Cyclone in the past, mm -hmm. which was their kind of Topo's first shot at kind of a racy shoe. And, and they had some really nice aspects to it and some really not so awesome aspects to it. <laughs> yes. But I'm wildly excited to run in the one for next season because it uses some of these super high end materials, but doesn't go up to, you know, 40 millimeters of stack height. Right. It doesn't, it, it actually doesn't use a carbon fiber plate because they know that the science tells you the carbon fiber plate doesn't actually make you run any faster. It's, it's the foam that made you run faster. The carbon fiber plate gives you that structural integrity. Yeah. And, and so, so they're trying to, there's people they're they're moving there along. So what I see next season is there are some really interesting shoes that have maybe a little less cushion to them that, that may not be this over the top. Let's go big. Now let's take right. what we've learned on these, these really amazing shoes and bring it down to, to the, what everybody can do and and maybe a one shoe you know one shoe type of thing that has yeah. the best technology that sort of thing yeah, so awesome. i think that's really exciting and, and it's a really nice jumping off point for you know whatever happens in the next six to nine months right well you know i think it's great that shoes continue to evolve that they continue to want to enhance the runner's performance and and their experience but um i think folks need to remember that like the latest and greatest may not be the latest and greatest for you right? Like know your intentions as we've stated in this podcast kind of over and over again is what are your intentions for using this shoe? How often are you going to use that? Is that a value to you, um, you know, over the course of your training? Because remember race day is one day <laughs> and you've got to get there, which is going to take a few months. So you want to be comfortable in your day-to-day -day use, right? And, and, and be able to enjoy your runs without having to, you know, have something on your foot that you're just not enthralled with. So, you know, make sure that you're, you're going into, to, you know, folks like Nathan's shop and, and trying things on and asking for their expertise. Right. Um, when you look at these YouTubers, remember what they're using it for and what their foot is like, right? Like, are they a higher volume foot? You know, are you a narrower foot? Because if they're reviewing the shoe and they think it's the best thing ever, but they've got this really high volume foot and it's nothing like your foot, but you're getting enticed by this, then it's probably not going to be the right marriage for your foot. So remember those things as well. Um, anything to add there, Nathan? No, I, I mean, I, I would definitely, the, the best thing you can do is try the shoe on. And I know that everybody doesn't have that opportunity. Um, but the best thing you can do is try it on. And when you're, when you're sitting down with someone in a store, after you've tried it on and formed your opinion, see if, see if they do any similar running to what you do. And, and that's an important question to ask. I think when people walk into a store, they're so intimidated by the, by the folks working there that they think if they ask a question, they'll, they'll maybe won't sound as smart or won't sound as informed or, or who knows what. But if you do a little research online about the technical aspects of the shoe and then go in and, and show the person in the store that you care. Um, I, I know at our store, we'll, we'll talk to you for hours. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's why we're here. And I hope it's why most, most certainly independent running stores are there. Um, it really is an asset, but, but ask them, do they do what you do? You may walk mm -hmm. into a running store where 
where they are just exceptionally fast 5k runners on the on the road and all you're going to do is go out and run a 15 minute mile on the trails um their experience is not your experience right and so so it's okay to ask those questions and and it's you know the the secret here is that there there's nobody running seven minute miles in in a hundred miler there's <laughs> there, there there's just not I, I i used to listen to the movies where you know these elite athletes would be like oh, i was doing a seven minute mile and then this guy shot past me and <laughs> and those those of us that have run them know that that's that's just not accurate so mm-hmm. Sit down and and say, okay, I'm going to be running a 10 minute mile, a 15 minute mile, a 20 minute mile. Mm-hmm. I'm going to walk Yeti, and right. and I'm going to finish in what 36 hours, and that's awesome. But your needs are very different than Olivier LeBlanc, who's chucking out a, a 1250 right. there or whatever whatever yeah. Olivier does. <laughs> um, and so so just be sure to talk to people about it, and then also I I just think I we threw out that like power run PB, and I tried to use that as an as a an example of marketing um, that it's power run throughout the Saucony line. Um, but, but some of that power run is just amazing materials. And some of it is, is, you know, them trying to sell a really good shoe that just doesn't happen to have the the most expensive material ever made in it. And so if you're re- if you're watching reviews that are more in depth than what Aaron and I have done today, and they start throwing out every single buzzword that's on the side of a shoe um, <laughs> that, my guess is they probably haven't run in it too much. They've just heard the same material that their rep told them and they're repeating it for, for YouTube. So talk to people that run in it and enjoy that. Absolutely. All great points. Nathan, as always, it's been awesome. It's so fun talking to you. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to put down my bike and my uh, mic and get rid of my soapbox. I think <laughs> after that little last diatribe, but... it's, it's all good. I, I certainly appreciate your honesty and your feedback on this. Uh, it's, it's been a great conversation. So thank you, buddy. Well, I always have fun with this. I was incredibly impressed with your uh, with your Bigfoot finish. That was pushing the uh, pushing the limits of what you've done before, and so proud to see you finish from Thanks, uh, from someone that maybe didn't finish something that long this year. Um, it's it's wonderful to see the tenacity that goes into that, as well as um, knowing a number of your athletes and and what you're doing with them is spectacular right now. So, um, hey, so anyone that's listening that's got made it to this point. Um, Aaron's got a Patreon page and he makes some dough on that. Um, I'm not paid to be here. I didn't pay him to get me on here to talk about my store. So throw him a couple bucks on Patreon and uh, it'll help him, you know, make sure that Mike's still running and he's putting out great information. So if you don't say it, Aaron, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks man. so much. Thank no, you. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks everybody for uh, listening and, and paying some attention. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys. Well, thank you, Nathan, for your time and your expertise. I really I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It was really fun to delve into the, the world of footwear. Uh, everybody knows that I'm kind of a, a footwear junkie. Um, I've got um, a lot of stuff <laughs> that I want to try right now. Um, I actually bought, um, let's see, Parazinals while I was at Nathan's store. Uh, I bought my wife the uh, the Saucony Endorphin Edge. That's the uh, carbon-plated trail shoe that that we talked about. Uh, so, um, man, just got a lot of stuff, a lot of footwear that I want to try. My calf kind of is getting better. I I kind of pulled it after uh, the uh, the race there in Pisgah two weeks ago, but um, it's getting better. I'm able to to jog again, just going nice and easy. Uh, gonna kind of still cross train a little bit, just make sure it's 100. percent uh, no rush in my training right now. You know, there's no urgency. So 
just making sure it heals up and and I'm okay 100% and and good to go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I look down in my basement and, um, you know, the things that I've got, I've got, uh, the, uh, Rincone 3 and the Mach 5, um, by Hoka. Uh, so looking forward to trying those. I, I did run in the Mach 3. Um, for some reason the footbed just doesn't feel great under my foot right now. So look, I'll have to, <laughs> have to see, uh, the old Rincone, the original Rincone I really loved. So, uh, I'm hoping that, a few runs in this, my foot will feel more comfortable. But if not, I just realized that when I was looking across my uh, <laughs> my toolbox, if you will, that uh, my footwear, I didn't have much variation in ramp. And so with the calf injury, I was like, yeah, I probably do need some shoes with uh, you know some, some different ramp other than zero drop. I just had a ton of zero drop options and not a lot in the ramp category. <laughs> so uh, that said, I um, wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, that I was going to be, um, accommodating, you know, my body's needs. So, um, I grabbed those and, um, pretty glad I have so far, um, you know, with everything that, that I have, uh, same thing on the trail. That's why I picked up the Zanal. Um, you know, it's, I think the only other, um, ramped shoe I had was maybe my Nordas and, uh, let's see what else. Um, uh, the mountain racer. So I do have a few options on the, uh, the ramped options for the trail, uh, and the tecton. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, created that variation, which was nice, but visiting Nathan's store was, was a pleasure. I got to see Natalie Daniel. Uh, she's wonderful. Uh, she's racing, uh, rim to river coming up this weekend. So I wish her luck. Um, I believe Nathan raced, um, the uh i think it's called the desert rose in texas um i'll have to check on his result and see how he did so um but hats off to uh ultra running company they do a great job over there in old in uh, charlotte so if you're in that area uh stop by and check them out um otherwise um i hope you uh you've enjoyed the episode um we have uh you know a ton of stuff going on here um just uh ramping up the uh the indoor track season uh with the kids so getting ready to start that next week um i have some coaching spots available for anybody that's interested and wants to have that conversation um got some new patreon supporters so um i want to just quickly shout out um leah lanier uh really thank you leah for for hopping on board and uh and supporting i appreciate that uh, that was that was wonderful. Uh, it's uh, it's great to have that support from from folks like you. I also want to thank Carolyn Morso, Mike Sears, Julia Jordan, Nicole Burnham, Peter Kao, Will Weedman, Philip Taylor, Martin Thorne, Nancy Lewis, Victor Dostrow, Kendall Weaver, Nate Heaslip, Austin Elder, and Tori Greaves for their support. Uh, really do appreciate my patrons, and that's why I mentioned them. They're, uh, they're fantastic. Uh, it helps me keep doing this. So if you can spare, uh, you know, a buck or five bucks a month to help me and keep this rolling, I really do appreciate it. Uh, you can, um, hit the, uh, the link in the show notes, uh, also a link off my website. 
that's uh that <clears throat> will lead you to my patreon page and you can subscribe which i totally appreciate i am going to put out my first uh, patreon episode um, hopefully this week i'm going to put that out there for uh, my patreon supporters i had uh reached out to them asking for topics um and uh i'm actually hopefully going to have uh one of them, Will Weedman, on as a guest. He just did tour jaunts, and I'm I'm really interested to hear about his experience. So um, I'll have him on the the regular podcast. But um, yeah, I'm gonna do a um, kind of a Patreon question episode uh, here for them this week. So I'm gonna be launching private episodes for them as a, a thank you for their support. So if you can hop on Patreon support, totally appreciate that. And uh, and if not, please just. Uh, like, share, review the podcast on whatever listening platform that you use. That's also extremely helpful for others to uh, to hear the podcast. So thank you. Other than that, my friends, um, I think that's all I got for this episode. Um, I'll be recording with uh, Jesse Fuller. Uh, Jesse is uh, uh, PT amongst uh, other <laughs> multiple titles and uh, and does a functional movement assessments and and uh, strength training he's great he's on instagram he'll be my next guest uh, i'll be recording with him this week uh, and i'll be recording with canyon and forest woodard about their new uh, project they just uh, uh, produced a film and uh and so we'll be talking about that so um, that <laughs> another episode coming uh so right now it's they keep flowing um hopefully you take away some stuff for the episode um again I hope you got to catch uh, some of the stuff on YouTube that um, that we went over and and, and saw, and uh, and you enjoyed. So um, I'm gonna sign off for for this episode. But until next time, keep running, my friends.